Hi, I'm John Plesnick, and welcome to Train the Church, where we talk about training men for ministry in the context of the local church. This podcast is produced by Faith Bible Church in Murrieta, California, where I'm a pastor. Joining me again is Chris Mueller and Nigel Shaler, fellow pastors at Faith Bible Church. Hey, John. Hey, what's up? (laughs) Together, we lead the training center. That cracks me up. A three-year program of ministry training for men set in the context of the local church. Last time we got together, we talked about the training method uh, we use in TC, uh, training center at Faith Bible Church. It's not perfect. It's always in refinement. I think that one of the core strengths of what we do, though, is helping men to determine their gifting. So, Nigel, you attended seminary many moons ago. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you have anyone in your class who didn't really understand what their spiritual gifts were? Yeah. <laughs> um, How could you tell? Well, uh, it was obvious, I think, uh, in the course of time as guys were trying to uh, flesh out what they thought was their spiritual gift. Anyone observing would would say, well, that's probably not it. Yeah, they assumed they were made a certain way and were... Yeah, and I think there can often be external pressures on a mm-hmm. guy to perform to a, in a certain way. Uh, and, um, and, and we all fall prey to that. Mm-hmm. And so, or can do. So uh, if you don't have a context or an environment where there's a willingness to be transparent with one another and honest with one another and... And there's not that place where someone can come to you and say, hey, you know, this is what I, I think you'd be better doing or maybe try this instead. Then often what you'll find is that guys and gals, too, uh, may end up uh, ministering in a way that they're not actually gifted to do. Hmm. I think about First uh, Peter 4.10, uh, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards in the manifold grace of God. Clearly, Peter assumes that people know their spiritual gift because he's commanding them to use it. So why are so many people today unclear about what their spiritual gifts are? Well, you're right. There is no command in Scripture to discover your spiritual gift. No. Uh-huh. Right? So we're not commanded to do that. Just to yeah. use it. Just to use it. So I think the implied, though, is that as we go about ministry— that we're in a kind of a self-discovery process, or maybe not discovering self, but discovering how it is that God has designed us to to minister, mm-hmm. and to go after that with full effort. Uh, but that, there's a long process involved. I, I often say to people who are struggling to know what their spiritual gift is, I just say, just give something a try. Just, just it's trial and error. Give it a shot, and in time, you will you'll be told. You know, by someone hopefully who's honest enough uh, to to whether you should continue or try something different. Yeah, in a healthy church, they're going to tell you you should never do that again. Right. Or you should really do more of that because that hopefully great. they'll tell you in a loving way. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You mean not that way? Well, <laughs> <laughs> true. All right. So, what do you guys think about the spiritual gift inventory tests that have been uh, widespread the last few decades? Well, I don't know about you, Chris. I think maybe there's there's something to be said for these tests in an affirming kind of way. But really, spiritual giftedness is going to be discovered over time and by experience. Uh, and, and I think it's easy to trick those tests or maybe to answer questions in a way that would um, l- lean the results in a particular direction in a way that you want them to go. So, um, so they, they can be good. 
uh, to a certain extent, but not always uh, something to be trusted. Yeah, they're stimulating, but they're not definitive. There's no way that uh, we can trust that process to determine your gift. I mean, it's something that the Holy Spirit has given you at the at your new birth. It's found in the context of ministry. It's affirmed by people in the church family. Now, we we talk a lot about listen. If you're not, you know, uh, being sincere and honest about that before people, you're not going to be able to determine your giftedness. And it's just a matter of serving faithfully. And as you do, talking to God's people and watching for that fruit that is produced through a a giftedness of, in a sense, putting Christ on display in a unique way, his mercy, his compassion, his teaching in some manner, as the Spirit of God is trying to conform all of us to the image of Christ. And so really having a proper theology of spiritual gifts is the starting place. And then allowing people to serve and minister and then getting good input. Now, you know, if we tell people, well, if you think you're a leader and you look behind you and there's nobody following you, you're not a leader. You know, it's pretty obvious. Uh, if you think you have the gift of mercy and you go to the hospital and when you leave, someone wants to die, then that's probably not your gift because they're, you know, basically going to see the fruit of your giftedness through you. And you're going to see that affirmation from God's people in the context of the body. And then those who are mature, genuinely mature in your midst, are going to be able to identify that too in time. So that's why the problem with the spiritual gift indicator is just a moment and all of a sudden you've got it all figured out. And basically it's identifying desire. And so there is a desire that comes alongside your giftedness. I think in the same way there's a desire for a man to be an elder if he is an elder, even though it's the Holy Spirit who makes elders, there's still that intrinsic desire that he would also fulfill that function. I think it's the same thing in giftedness. You desire to do those things. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll tell the congregation, in fact, last Sunday, you know, as somebody comes up and says, "Our, our church needs to be more merciful. And that's my first clue as to that they're probably merciful. And they're looking at life through their own giftedness. And the solution is, is not to, you know, tell everybody to be merciful, but to tell that merciful person, listen, just keep demonstrating mercy and people will become more merciful. And so it's that process of time and relationship that brings this all about and not necessarily a a spiritual gift indicator. Well, it could be, you know, someone takes one of those tests. Uh, gets the results and now they are so reliant upon those results and so set to achieve those results in some way that they fail to recognize uh, that 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 still needs to be uh, developed over time right and so they're basically going after what someone has told them to go after yeah, uh, it creates it, expectations that right. aren't necessarily reasonable or right. And I, I just think, you know, over time, uh, our spiritual gift set, let's say we have a spiritual gift mix, uh, is discovered to be, and we, we kind of know how God has made us in a more and more accurate way over the years. Uh, I, I loved uh, hearing an old pastor years ago telling me, and he was, he'd been in ministry over 40 years, and he said, you know, I'm still discovering what my spiritual gifts are. Hmm that kind of sensitivity uh, to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not like, you know, he, he'd been a pastor for years. He was a, a preacher and a teacher and, and a leader. But there's, there's nuances to that and there's small factors to that that would make him a different kind of 
preacher or pastor than than another preacher or mm-hmm. pastor. So yeah, there's a big debate. I mean, just theologically on giftedness, as far as is it one gift or is it multiplicity of gifts? And we say the answer to that is yes, it is one gift mix. And, and that's the way it's used singularly, but like Romans 12 would talk about various gifts. And it's kind of like those are the main paints on the painter's palette, and the Lord takes a combination of those things and makes you as uh, a combination of service and helps or a combination of preaching and, and exhortation might be a part of that. And so there's a combination that the Lord puts together and discovering that. Uh, that unique combination and how it fits within the context of the body and how it fits with even your created past. I mean, it's sobering to think that Paul tells Timothy, who's an experienced minister at this point in 2 Timothy chapter 1, 6, stir up your gift, you know, to kindle afresh the gift that's in you. Uh, it's, it's, the word is to stir up, like make it hot. And you've kind of let it go dormant, Timothy. And so we want you to stir that back up. And so the usage of it, he's saying, you know, get on it, get out there and use it. And that's a little bit of where the fire comes from in the spiritual life. And so within the context within the local body, and I think it's pretty clear in almost every context that it's used, that they're to be used within the context of the church. And so it's not necessarily for the world to see, though they'll see your uniqueness in some way in the world, and your mercifulness can be a way in which to lay a platform for the gospel, yes, but it's primarily to be used within the church. And it even says that repeatedly in the New Testament. First yeah. Corinthians 12, 7. Right. So we're trying to fire them up in the context of the church. I think one of the reasons why, in answering your question, you know, why don't so many people know is one, that it's not taught. Uh, n- number two, it's we overemphasize one gift on Sunday over all the other gifts. And I'm I am committed to a strong pulpit. We are committed to a strong pulpit, expositional pulpit, authorial intent teaching through the context and through books of the Bible. We're very committed to that, but we can so elevate that gift that other gifts are minimized. And that's not how the Bible looks at it. Uh, I mean, we need to be fed, and we need to be fed well. And if you don't have a strong pulpit, you got nothing. But there's also statements that Paul makes to the Corinthians. It's like those weaker ones, those hidden ones, the liver and the kidneys of the body of Christ. Those are more important to your survival, you know, that we desperately need those. And we need the expression of it. So it's not taught. I think we overemphasize certain things sometimes in the, in the gathered church. So we forget there's a multiplicity of giftedness out there. We don't really encourage people to look at each other in, the, in their strengths. And, and really that solves a lot of problems in the church when people begin to look at each other in the area of their strengths and not focusing on the weaknesses. Because, I mean, all of us can find things in each other's lives that are like, man, that really bugs me. You know, this happens. He does this. He does that. Or she does this. Well, ultimately, if we're focusing on, but look at the strength that they bring. Look at how they demonstrate Christ in the context of the body. It begins to elevate spiritual giftedness. I think there's also a church... Churches in general have begun to professionalize the work of ministry so that people come and they're happy to come and spectate and watch and engage on Sunday morning. And there's no opportunity, need, or push for them to use their gifts in the context of the church. Yeah, the the answer to that is we need to be able to say two things to the uh, believers around us. Just two. Just two things, at least two things. (laughs) Um, 
Firstly, you need to be able to say to one another, I need your spiritual gift. I need your spiritual gift in my life. God mm-hmm. has given you uh, some ability to speak into my life, to serve in a capacity that's going to be fruitful and helpful to me. And I don't, I don't, I need to invite you in. And I'm not happy for you to stand on the sidelines and do nothing. You need to be involved because I need your spiritual gift. Secondly, we need to be able to say, you need my spiritual gift. And, and I'm not talking about a, a prideful disposition, but just a, a very realistic understanding that, that my spiritual gift, whatever it is, is needed in the church. So therefore, I can't, I can't stand in the corner and do nothing either. I can't be a spectator. God's given me the ability to minister in a particular way. And, uh, and if this body is going to be healthy, then I need to be... I need to be availing myself of all that God has gifted me to do. I think the other thing that's important to say in the context of a conversation on spiritual gifts is that they're all commanded of believers, mm-hmm. that you don't get the out to say, well, that's not my gift, so I don't have to do it. You know, whether that's mercy or giving or evangelism, like whatever it is, the fact there's a fact that you are gifted, which means not that you only do that, but that you're going to be supernaturally fruitful in a certain area you're going to be probably excessively joyful when you're doing that area compared to some of those others, but they're all commanded of every believer. Mm -hmm. So we benefit from everybody's strengths and we grow to be more like Christ. And I think that's really the key is that we have the person of Christ and now we have the physical manifestation of Christ is the body of Christ. And that is most manifest when everyone's exercising their giftedness. One little image or picture of Christ coming through and if we can value that and say, I want to see all of Christ, we got all these little individualistic. And I think that's one of the things that works against spiritual giftedness is they say, well, it's about me and my gift. I'm like, no, it's about you and the expression of spiritual gifts in the context of the body, putting Christ on display. So we all see more of Christ in that situation and in that circumstance. But we as a culture do not think corporate. We think individualistic. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it drives this out of the church and because it's more convenient to be professional, we have guys hiring more and more pastors. It becomes more and more professional. People become more and more dif- distance, and really all they want from the congregation is their money and uh, a few nods and amens, and they're happy and, and they're, you know, attendant, so to speak. And that's the exact opposite of what the church is supposed to be, not a spectator organization. It's a participatory organization. You're on the field. You're in play. And, and really, the church that I came from, Grace Community Church, the very first article that they wrote about that church was the Church of 900 Ministers. It started with the foundation of everyone in ministry. And we really need to keep that as a part of the New Testament ethic. It's the New Testament priority. Yeah, well, none of the spiritual gifts are designed to be self-serving. Like right, that. right. Our spiritual gifts are not for ourselves. Uh, they are designed to uh, allow us and help us to minister to others. And so, so we do this for the benefit of the body. We do it for the benefit of Christ. So in the training context... It, it, you just turn the corner for me. Really? You wouldn't say that a training center or a training program is required to determine one's spiritual gifts, and yet that is a major focus of what we do. Correct. That guys enter into it with that as one of their ambitions. One of the ambitions. Now, a- again, I want to put the whole thing in context. I mean, at our church, we're, 
we believe that discipleship is a normal part of the Christian life. It's not just for the youth. It's for every adult at every level. Discipleship is not a one-on-one -on -one event. It's, uh, it can be one-on-many. Most naturally, it is on one-on-many of intentional relationships for the purpose of growth in Christ, coming to Christ and becoming like Christ. And so it's a you know, group of guys just going, let's going to grow. We're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to invest into the scripture. We're going to invest into doctrine, and we're going to make sure that's lived out, etc. And we're focused on that, that it affects every element of our lives. Nothing's excluded. Nothing. If you're truly discipling, it's every aspect of life. And so in the training center, which is actually one element of our training, you know, we've got evangelistic events, we've got, you know, discipleship opportunities in, in the community groups. There's even an opportunity occasionally through our church to get deep in the scripture and in theology for businessmen on a, you know, kind of a once a week kind of basis. But then there's the training center, which is to train you for ministry. And in that process, it's more than just lecture. It's more than, as we've talked about in all these broadcasts, it's an element of life on life and interaction and all the various gifts coming to play and men helping to encourage them to learn about one another and their strengths so that they begin to identify the giftedness that are found in that room and the guys begin to think giftedness about one another and they begin to think about their own unique giftedness in that process. Part of what helps us with that, John, and Nigel, is you know that we have meals together every time we get together. And so one of the wives or a few of the wives will put together, you know, some food and we'll all sit down and we all eat and we just fellowship in getting to know one another. And that's not another. every time the three of us get together. No, 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 but no, no, no. Every time we get together and with the training all center. the training center. Yeah, right. at that three hour meeting, it starts with an additional half hour at the beginning where we're eating. And it usually ends with a time where we're fellowshipping afterwards, talking about issues, working through uh, struggles, fellowshipping, catching up with what's happening in each other's lives. And so there's that element of life-on-life -life discipleship, but that's when you begin to understand where a guy rings true. One of the worst things that can happen is that you're in the midst of the training center, you're reviewing things like a coach, you're you know, getting the players to run this, they're working this through, they're sharing their convictions, they're lighting up over certain things. And then what you do afterwards is we come alongside them and go, man, you really lit up when we talked about the doctrines of grace. Man, you really got excited when we began to dialogue about evangelism. Wow, when we talk about service or when we talk about compassion, man, you are in it, like and starting to shed tears and like, wow. And we're beginning to follow up and help them to identify. And so before and after this entire process, we're interacting about their strengths and weaknesses and giftedness is part of that. It's not the whole package, but it's a big part of it and trying to identify that. And, and one of the, you know, both of you know, one of the most successful things that we do is that every year they're required and they pay for a conference. And so like we'll go to Grace Church's uh, Shepherds Conference with all of our guys uh, in the first year. And then we'll go to, at least so far, Together for the Gospel in our second year with all the guys. And we fly out, and they've already paid for this with their tuition costs. And then the third year, we usually go to a conference that maybe is not quite on the same page as us as a church. Not heresy, but a little bit different. So we train our guys to interact with people who are different. But in that context, we're spending mega time one-on-one, -on -one, mega time with each guy. And by the second year, we're taking each individual man and we're getting the entire class to comment on that man. So after a year and a half of, you know, all this interaction, all this discipleship, all this learning together, the guys begin to formulate a pretty good idea who that guy is. 
and what he should be doing and what he should not be doing with the rest of his life. Yeah, it's amazing. During that second year when we go away to T4G, it's a great conference. And the thing that the guys usually have as their favorite is not the conference, but the conversations we have with them, really, which is us just leading a greater conversation with them together about how they're strong, how they're weak, how they're gifted, and uh, what they should be doing in ministry. Yeah, and the, and the way that fleshes out is there's usually about 20 guys. Mm-hmm. And we sit in a circle and we'll say, okay, t- today we're going to Kumbaya. And we'll say, okay, for now we're going to talk about Andrew. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, let's, let's uh, consider Andrew's strengths, weaknesses, spiritual gifts. Where does he need to grow? What, what does he need to develop in? And, Who should uh, he have around him? Yeah, and that's and a the big rest part of, of it, yeah. isn't it? Because if we, if a guy knows his own weaknesses, then he knows who he needs around him to fill in those gaps. Right. And so, we talk about that now. In the first year of training center, these conversations happen, but they're very stilted and not always that helpful. They or don't accurate. know each other well enough yet. Well, they, and they haven't got the trust factor mm-hmm. yet to be able to speak to these things. But it develops over time. You get to year three, things are really flowing. It's Mm -hmm. pretty fun. We didn't really talk much about that during our last conversation about our overall training method, but we do a whole lot of intentional things to cultivate relationships with the men together over that time. One of those, as you guys mentioned, is there's meals together. Another is the conference trips we go on, which is, I mean, Shepherd's Conference is Wednesday to Friday or a Thursday or a Tuesday to Friday, depending on the year. Uh, when we go away to T4G, it's usually Sunday to Thursday. And then the one after that, the year three, is usually another five, six day. What additional to those things do we do to cultivate and help men discover their spiritual gifts in the context of training center? Well, some of it is we're hanging with them. We're watching them in ministry. We're talking to the people who minister with them. Uh, Sometimes they're over at the house, just hanging out, doing yard work, (laughs) you know, enjoying each other. Uh, doing whatever we can do to spend that time and to interact with them, to talk about their desires and passions, uh, how they're put together, their past history tells us a lot. You know, how they're built, uh, their personality, are they inward, uh, you know, uh, quiet or the extrovert kind of thing. Uh, their, uh, you know, heart for God and, and how that manifests itself. You know, they've always wanted to go internationally. They've always wanted to establish a church. They've always wanted to uh, you know, see a church grow in this particular area or develop this, or the church really needs definitive doctrine. You know, you begin to learn how they're put together and even past experiences and abilities that they have that uniquely contribute to this. And again, we're talking about a sovereign God who works every element of our lives and his providence to accomplish his purposes in that man's life those good works that he's prepared beforehand that he should walk in them. And so all that comes into play. So every element, you know, and I, I love the fact that we have a church that is in tuned to ministry and to in tune to training. So they know that when I come up and say, hey, well, tell me about Lewis, you know, or tell me about Freddie, they're ready to respond because they know I'm not there to, you know, do anything weird about Lewis or gossip about him. I want to know, how's he doing? How's his teaching? How's he with others? Does he go hide in the corner somewhere or does he interact with people? You know what? How's he built? And so I'm getting input from them. It's funny. There's a safety in talking about people when you're not looking for a particular gift in someone. 
You know what I mean? Because you can yeah. say, how's Frank doing? And it's not a question of, is Frank a, a preacher? Do we keep him in? It's just, how's he made? Is he, where is he strong? What do you see in him? Right. Which very, is a much safer yeah. thing. We have expectations that are very open-ended mm-hmm. and uh, always looking for what God has done in a person's uh, heart and soul as opposed to our own expectations. Yeah, it's a huge mistake, I think, to train men to be elders, to train men to be pastors until that's been affirmed by a church. Because again, Acts 20, it's the Holy Spirit made you overseers. We don't make anybody into anything. We're trying to acknowledge God's work in their life. So we're trying to discover that and then free those men up to go after it with every ounce of their being. And so it's such a freeing environment. And so everybody's all, I, you know, we just, it's all about Christ. It's all about serving him, honoring him. So how's that going to pan itself out in that process? And those meal times, everybody knows, everybody knows it, but nobody does it, is that, you know, so much ministry and so much interaction and so much exposure to who you are takes place in the natural environment of just eating a meal together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that really helps a lot. And then, of course, the conferences uh, are aided by some things. And i got to be very, you know, if there are people listening to this, they need to know this. Okay, so not every church can pull off a conference like we do. I'm just saying they can't because we have uniquely gifted men. We have you, John, with the spiritual gift of restaurant, right, <laughs> that you know what restaurants to go to, that we could actually meet together, and, you know, and hang out. And uh, we've got Rod Shackelford, one of our elders, who with the gift of menu, he knows what items to order. And so, and then we also have guys that are real creative in finding the spot, you know, at T4G that's nobody knows about, but it's free. And we can get up there and sit around in a circle and dialogue for two hours. And that's what we fight for. It's just hard to do it with a group of 20 at a big conference. Oh, man. You know, even Shepherd's Conference with, what, 5,000 people, Mm -hmm. just finding a slot anywhere is difficult. So we have, you know, men who can find out where we can go to make that happen so we can have that dialogue. And we, we talk about what we're hearing. Because that tells you a lot about where the men are built mm-hmm. and how, you know, when they, when we go to that conference where it's slightly off and one of the guys like they did last year, you know, ran out of the room, like oh, that was not right, you know, and they're, they're dicing and slicing the scripture. That tells us a lot about that man. Mm-hmm. And so we're... As well as the stuff that they gravitate towards, what correct. they resonate with. Correct. Right. So all of that feeds this whole process of understanding them and developing their spiritual gifts. But conferences are a part of that. Yeah. And of course, the guys will start the training center process, maybe involved in some ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, somewhere throughout the, the three-year program, we'll even suggest, hey, maybe try something different. Maybe tweak that and uh, get them involved somewhere else so they can kind of test themselves mm-hmm. and refine their their understanding of their own spiritual gifts. Yeah, I think probably a third to half where we encourage them or they find on their own that they want to shift ministries mm-hmm. that they're involved in. And then oftentimes the, the other men are thinking, I want to take a greater role or a different role in the ministry that I'm in mm-hmm. based on how they're learning themselves. That's right. I think it was really delightful, too, that as the men got to know each other, and some of them were actually, you know, seemingly called to ministry, uh, set apart to have significant pastoral work, 
that they all wanted one individual with them because they knew that they were not administratively strong, but the one guy who was the administrative hero gifted in that way, they all wanted him as a part of their ministry. It was like so, a bidding war. Yeah, yeah, it was humorous, mm -hmm. you know, that they're, we got to have Andrew, you mm -hmm. know, and they're trying to woo Andrew into their own ministry because he's so strong in an area that they're weak. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what you want is that kind of understanding. Mm-hmm. Are there dangers to be aware of as people begin to think about their gifts and spiritual gifting and gifting? Well, yeah, pride is mm. a big danger. Mm -hmm. you know, that we, we need to be joyful. We want to be content in our spiritual gifting, knowing that we're serving the Lord. But as soon as we become prideful in it, that's going to lead to all kinds of problems. <laughs> well, and I think uh, hopefully there's a healthy fear that the men realize that the Lord has set them apart for a certain kind of ministry and there ought to be a sense of fear in that, that they would mess that up, you know, that they would want to make sure that they were clearly manifesting that. And I think in an unhealthy environment, which I've seen a couple of those as I was a part of churches as they began and or and had been around for many years and we were trying to turn a corner, uh, that there were very unhealthy approaches to spiritual gifts where there would be women who would call themselves the gift of discernment, which meant that they could say things about other people in a savage way and basically masked, gossiped, and, and uh, critical um, speech uh, with a spiritual gift. So there's that kind of thing that can happen, too. It can be very unhealthy hmm. in an unhealthy environment. Mm -hmm. um, but spiritual gifts in general, once they're manifested, it, there's a, hopefully a healthy fear and a healthy humility that comes with it. And it's you know, realizing that you're just one part of the equation. And that's what I think. I, I'm a little bit hesitant, and I appreciate some men who've had huge impact in my life, but I also fear for the superstardom of their uh, pulpit ministry uh, because it tends to communicate that that's the ultimate gift. And I, I get nervous about that because I think the ultimate gift is the one God gave you. And that we need to hold that with a little bit of fear and trepidation uh, and respect towards other gifts uh, because we want to see all of Christ be manifest in the church family and not just that. And again, I'm not minimizing the importance of the pulpit or the importance of feeding the flock and correct exegesis and exposition. I don't want to minimize that, but at the same time, I get nervous when that's the only gift that's talked about. I think we understand that salvation is a gift given to us. We can take no credit for our salvation. In the same way, we take no credit for spiritual gifts. Correct. It's a gift given to us mm -hmm. for for uh, the benefit of the body. And so, again... I think we're more prone to taking credit for that one, though. Well, because it's something that we can develop and work on and strengthen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but even then, we still don't take credit for it. And so anything, any benefit that comes out of that that serves the church is is not something that we take pride in for ourselves. Right, and it's through God's strength and for his glory that it happens. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, I think uh, one of the things that makes Faith Bible Church a uniquely sweet and healthy place is that we acknowledge and promote uh, a diversity of gifts is really critical to the health of the church. I thought about Ephesians 4.16, which says the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. That's every believer. That causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And I'm thankful for how that's... Uh, manifest at Faith Bible Church and the role that the training center 
plays in that. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about one of the most common questions we get from men in other churches. How much is reasonable to expect <laughs> of men that you're training? Athlete uh, aspects of their lives. <laughs> I know. You know, maybe you have guys who are working in the fields or serving in the academy. They have lots of kids or they're quite gray uh, or completely lacking in hair. Uh, how much can you reasonably expect of the men in your church? We're going to try to answer that next Monday. You can find show notes from today at our website, www.trainthechurch.com. If you want to catch the next episode, then hit the subscribe button on your podcast player so it will automatically download future episodes. Love to have you leave a review on iTunes. Both those things help people find us. Thanks for listening. Now, go train the church. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.